the second in this short uh, summer mini-series on work, rest and play. Um, hopefully you, uh, you heard Jonathan uh, last week or maybe you've had a chance to catch up. Um, oh, it was two weeks ago, wasn't it, uh, on, uh, uh, on the, uh, the, the podcast. But you might have noticed we're doing things in a slightly different order, and I'll explain why later on. But uh, we're not doing work, rest, and play. We're doing rest, work, and play in that order. And today, no, we're not looking at uh, putting umbrellas up just in case it rains at the barbecue. We are looking at work. And in doing so, I'd like us to look at a a number of passages. So... um, I'm going to do things in a slightly different order. Um, One of the passages I want to speak from, I'm going to do towards the kind of last third of my talk. Um, So if you want to get ready for that, it's Daniel chapter 1. But um, there's a lot of scene setting I've got to do, so I'd like to use a lot of other verses um, as we go there. You'll have to be quick and on the ball if you want to keep up, but I have got most of the verses up on the the PowerPoint uh, to help you. So you don't need to uh, look them all up. It's, um, it's great, isn't it, to be able to uh, uh, celebrate George and Marion and all the work that they've done over uh, the years. So it's perhaps uh, um, pretty significant that we're looking at work today. Uh, and I did uh, joke with the, uh, the girls in the office that it's also um, quite uh, ironic that in uh, my first preach after my three-month sabbatical, I have to get straight into work. Uh, but I would like to thank you very much for that opportunity for that three-month sabbatical. It's been a, a, a really great chance um, for me to, uh, to kind of relax and wind and, uh, and really study um, some, some, uh, some things that I wouldn't have had the opportunity to do. So thank you for that. And it's also ironic because today uh, is my 23rd wedding anniversary. <laughs> Not, of course, that that's got anything to do with hard work. been total rest the whole time. <laughs> but anyway, um, to, to, to get on to, uh, to, to really what uh, I feel God wants to, to share with us this morning, I need to set a little bit of context, first of all, about what uh, uh, we're made for and what work is all about. So if I asked you, uh, you know, why are you here, I guess you all might have um, different answers. And I don't mean why you're here at church this morning. It's why are you here? What are you about? And I'd like to suggest that uh, there's really three things in the world. There's God, there's things, and there's people. I'm generalizing a little bit, but there's God. Before everything else, there was God, so we have to uh, include him. There's the things that he created and there's people, and there's a special case of people, and that's ourselves. And I think if we need to, un- if we want to understand the concept of who we are and what we're about, we need to understand something about our created purpose. Now, I believe that the Bible says that we were created, first and foremost, to worship God. And if you look at Deuteronomy, um, chapter 6, verse 13, it says, worship the Lord your God, and serve him only. And Jesus himself quoted that verse when he was being tempted by Satan, and Satan said, bow down and worship me. And he said, no, no, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then we've got things, the things of creation. 
And I think that they were made for us to use. And the Bible verses that I'd use to uh, support that is, first of all, 1 Timothy 6.17, where it says, put your hope in God who richly provides everything for our enjoyment. God's made this fantastic creation for us to enjoy and for us to use. And the instruction that he gave to Adam and Eve was fill the earth and subdue it or use it. Use what I've given you. You've got this wonderful creation. Subdue it. Use it. Um, Use up things. And then people. Well, I think we're here to love people. And uh, it's very clear that Jesus says, you know, the second greatest commandment after love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind is to love your neighbor, love people as you love yourself. So that's a little bit of context about why we were created. We're created to worship God, to use things, and to love people. Okay? Good. So what is work? First of all, it's not just paid employment. Right? Let's be absolutely clear. I'm not just uh, speaking this morning to those of you who go to work 9 to 5 or whatever it happens to be and take home a salary at the end of that. I think that work is more about expending effort on the things to bear fruit, using the resources that God has given us to bring about outcomes. Yeah? So that doesn't matter whether you're at school, whether you're at work, you're having to raise a family, you're maybe in a time of unemployment, you're in retirement, George. You're doing stuff as church. It's expending effort to bear fruit. So why do I think that? Well, another instruction that God gave Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, when he blessed them, he said, be fruitful and multiply. Bear fruit from the things that I've given you and multiply that. Bring results from it. So when you're at school... Study the best you can to bear fruit, to get the exam grades that you need, to to better yourself, to learn things. When you're at work, work hard to to bring about the results you need. Raising a family, obviously, is uh, fruitful and multiplying in that. But in unemployment, don't just treat that as, well, I'm I'm nothing. I've I've got no uh, um, kind of work uh, that, that I can earn a living with. What else can you do to bear fruit? while you're in unemployment. And actually, I'm a firm believer that, George, unfortunately, there is no such thing as retirement. Keep busy. Keep doing things. Look for ways that God can use you to bear fruit. And I'll maybe come back to bearing fruit as a church later on. Now, unfortunately, as we know, when we look at Genesis, Although God, I'm sure, intended work originally to be a real joy and a blessing, unfortunately, for many people, it's become a bit of a toil. Who looks forward to Monday morning when they go to work? Mark does. Fantastic. Well done. But I guess, and, and, and I hear this a lot, um, you know, when people come in on a Monday morning, oh, it's Monday morning. I just can't take this. I'm really looking forward to Friday coming around again. You almost, you almost kind of throw away the week because work is this toil, it's this drudgery. 
And unfortunately, because our disobedience to, uh, to the instructions that God gave us, God said that through painful toil, you're going to eat all the days of your life. The way we kind of encounter work now is not really how God intended it to be. He made us to work, yeah. You know, he told us to be fruitful and multiply. But unfortunately, we've spoilt it a little bit. And then the last thing I would say on uh, work, don't see work as something that defines who you are. Okay? I guess when you meet somebody... Uh, after you've introduced yourselves and said, kind of, what's your name, who are you? The next question usually is, and what do you do? Yeah? Even Jesus, when he was uh, amazing people with his teaching in the temple, people said, isn't this Jesus, the carpenter? Right? They equated him to what he did. And so often, our lives seem to be defined by the job we do or what we don't do. George, the site manager, he's not that anymore. But that doesn't make George any less, by no means. We have to understand that work is there as a secondary thing, not as a primary motivation and driver in our lives. Now, you've probably wondered, what on earth is that uh, little picture uh, slightly uh, um, faded out in the background? (laughs) It's bare fruit, right? So, if you remember nothing else, remember that the purpose of work, one of the purposes of us, is to bear fruit. Right. Our attitude to work. This is really, really important. I guess on the kind of spectrum of attitudes to work, you can see at one end of the spectrum... One attitude could be, I'm completely bone idle, right? And at the other end of the spectrum, you've got people who are absolute workaholics. I'm not going to ask you uh, to stick your hands up to say where you think you sit in that spectrum. I hope you're not at either of the extreme ends of that. But let's have a look at where God wants us to be in terms of our attitude to work. So I guess at that kind of um, bone idle end of the spectrum, there's also... You know, people who try and get away with the bare minimum. I'm sure those of you at work know these kind of people, right? They're the ones last in in the morning. They do absolutely the bare minimum, and they're always the first one out at the end of the day, right? When the boss isn't around, they uh, are swinging the lead somewhat, right? And they never put their all in. They're always, um, you know, trying to get away with the bare minimum. Maybe this is a generalization, but I think that these are the kind of people who believe that it's better being than doing. They think more about themselves as, as individuals and what they want to be doing, right, um, rather than doing stuff at work. Does that make sense? And there's a proverb that warns against that. Proverbs 13, uh, 13.4 says, A sluggard's appetite is never filled, right? If you don't put the effort in, you ain't ever going to get what you need. These are people who seem to never have enough because they're lazy in their approach to work. At the other end of the spectrum, we've got people, maybe not complete workaholics, but they live to work, 
Yeah? It's their primary driver in work. It's, it's their fulfillment. It's the thing that they look to. And for me, generally, these are the kind of people who suffer from a love of money or a love of self. Right? They either want to keep working to get more and more and more either of things or raise their self-esteem more and more, become more and more important, more and more influential. Another proverb, 23.4, says, don't wear yourself out to get rich. Don't trust in your own cleverness. Because, interestingly, just like those who are bone idle, the people at this end of the spectrum never have enough. You look at that parable that Jesus told about the, um, the farmer with the barns. Do you remember the story where um, he kind of brought in the harvest and the harvest was too much for his barns, so he built bigger barns and, and they got full and, and so he had built bigger ones and bigger ones and all the time he said, do you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll just fill this one and then I'll sit back and relax and have a good time. Right? But he never got to that point because that very night God took his life from him. These are people who want more and more and more, but they never have enough. So, there must be some middle ground, surely, where God really wants us to be. And I think, rather than live to work, it's God's intent for us that we work in order that we can live. That makes sense? We work in order to bear fruit so that we can eat. We work in order to, we happen to have a monetary system that we work to, to have money to buy the things that we need, the clothes and, 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 uh, and, and what have you. But God says, don't get the priorities wrong here. You know, we're here, as uh, we saw in, in Genesis 2.15, if you look that up. God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Right? It was a kind of caretaker role. It wasn't the end in itself. God had already created the garden. He'd already done it. What he expected of us was just work it in order that you might live. And Ecclesiastes uh, 3, 12 to 13 says, Know that there's nothing better for people than to be happy and do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil or work. This is the gift of God. God intends us to work that we might live, that we might have life in all its fullness, that it wouldn't be um, kind of a painful toil. Now, I wonder what your attitude to work is and your attitude to your bosses. Sometimes, and I, I, in, in my work, I go around and visit different offices uh, around the uh, country, Sometimes you find an atmosphere that is really uplifting. Everybody's working hard and, and they're all part of a team and uh, you know, they all work together and they're highly productive. Other offices I can go into, do you know what, it's miserable. You know, there's people moaning about everything. Nothing can ever be right. There's always a problem to be found. And whenever something seems to go wrong, there's always some kind of conspiracy theory that, well, the bosses are just out to get us. Yeah? And people get really angry about that. I wonder where you fit in that spectrum of uh, your attitude to work. And again, it's, uh, it's not just about going into work um, for paid employment. It's whatever you do. 
You know, we've heard this morning that the, uh, the attitude of our administrators is great. What a great place to work. Bless you for that. You're very fortunate. But what should our attitude be and how should we be a witness in the places that we work? When people get uh, angry and frustrated, do we follow suit? Do we join in with the gossip and the backbiting and the, and the, and the, and the jibing about uh, our managers? The Bible tells us that whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. Whatever you do, whether it's paid employment, whether it's uh, um, doing the gardening, um, whether it's volunteer work, looking after um, elderly people, whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. And Colossians says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as if you're working for the Lord not for human masters. Since you know that you're receiving an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it's the Lord Christ you are serving. That puts a completely different complexion, surely, on how we um, treat our, our bosses. Right? So it's almost uh, like the Bible saying, forget who your real earthly boss is. Do it as if you're working for God. Because I would suggest that if you can have that kind of attitude in your work, then you'll never be glum or angry in your work. You'll be submissive to uh, what is required of you. And your work will become a much happier place and a happier thing to do. But I guess, like everyone, and uh, I hold myself up uh, guilty on this, we get the balance wrong sometimes, don't we? We... uh, we do get frustrated, we do get annoyed um, when we're asked to do things uh, um, that uh, is perhaps filling in gaps for somebody else who hasn't done something or it seems like we're being asked to do inappropriate things. What happens when we get the balance wrong? So remember the purpose. We're here to worship God, use things, and love people. Unfortunately, Sometimes we end up worshipping things, don't we? It's all about what we can get. And when we worship things, we tend to use people. We use people in a way that I want to get what I want, so actually it doesn't matter what other people think. And I'll kind of stamp, stamp them down because actually I want that promotion. And I'll do this and I'll make myself look good and it doesn't matter if I make somebody else look bad. And we end up, as a result, loving ourselves because of who we're trying to get ourselves to be. And unfortunately, we end up leaving God out. And the Bible warns against this. In Romans 1.25, it said, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. When we put our focus on things, we lose focus on God. And we lose focus on loving people. That is a a real severe warning when we get the created order and the created purpose wrong in our lives. So then I want to look at, remember who the real boss is. Now, the the Bible says that... uh, All authority is established by God. We may not like it. 
we may not even agree with who some of the people are that God has allowed into positions of authority. You know, we may detest the things that they stand for, the things that they do. And I don't understand why God sometimes allows that to happen. But you know what? God is God. And who are we to question his wisdom and his appointment of people into positions of authority? Because the Bible says there is no authority except that which God has established. So there's times where we just have to suck it up and, and live with it, even though we don't necessarily like it. And we're told in Colossians, and for slaves, because obviously this was written in a time when uh, there, there, were, there were slaves and bond servants, and, and they were expected to um, uh, uh, obey their masters. But I guess some people might look upon their work as slavery today, right? Uh, and I'm not talking about, you know, unfortunately there is still um, slavery going on, but some people, you know, go to work with the attitude that they feel like they're slaves to uh, um, the paid employment that they have. But this says... You know, let's say workers. Workers, obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it not only when their eye is on you to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence to the Lord. In everything you do, do it properly and appropriately. I'd like us to have a look quickly at the example of Daniel and his friends. So if you've got Daniel chapter 1, you know this story well. Um, so I'll, uh, I'll read it um, quite quickly. So the, the background to this story is that uh, um, some of the Jews have been taken into exile in Babylon, and uh, they find themselves uh, uh, under the reign of King Jehoiakim, um, and, uh, uh, sorry, King Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar brings uh, these uh, uh, Judean Jews into uh, his court, And I'm going to pick up uh, starting at verse 3 of chapter 1. Then the court ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. These guys had a great CV. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians, The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter into the king's service. So they had a three-year probation period and training, and then they were going to get this job in the king's service. And among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And the the chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other men of your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Then Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. 
And if you know the, uh, um, the story, um, they eat these vegetables, and uh, after 10 days, uh, the king's official finds them to be healthier, uh, better looking, and in better condition than any of the other uh, officials. And God grants them great wisdom to grow and do their job brilliantly. So the reason I, I kind of read that passage is because it's a great example of what our attitude to our work should be. Daniel and his friends, um, even though they were in a foreign land, they were being asked to do things that were alien to them, and in some ways alien to God's laws, they decided not to defile themselves. And they said, no, we're going to follow God's laws, but test us in this. And God honored them in it. Now, I wonder what we do when opposition comes in our work I don't know, and I know maybe one or two of you have experienced situations where you in your work have been asked to do things that are contrary to God's laws. Yeah? What do you do? Now, there's big examples, uh, you know, where people have taken a stand about, you know, I'm being asked to, uh, um, uh, you know, s- s- uh, help people celebrate uh, gay marriage and things like that, and they say, no, I, I believe God's law is against that, so I'm, I'm going to take a stand uh, against that. And they lose their jobs as a result of it. Right? There are those um, in, in nursing who have sought to pray um, for patients and they're disciplined as a result of that. So what do we do when opposition comes? Daniel and his, uh, his friends took a very clear stand. And if you read on, a bit of homework for you, um, uh, if you read on uh, in chapter 3, the king orders that they have to bow down to this big statue of gold. Right? And anybody that doesn't bow down to this statue of gold will be thrown into a fiery furnace. And the order comes to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to bow down. And what do they do? They don't say, well, yeah, we'll just kind of um, you know, pretend to kneel down and we're not really worshipping, but you know, let's uh, go with the flow. No, they say, we are absolutely not going to do this. And do you know what, king? I don't care if you do virus. I don't care if you throw us into the fire. Actually, my boss is more important than you as my boss. I wonder, have we got the boldness? Have we got the conviction to do that? If we're asked to do things that are outside God's law. You see, in Daniel chapter 3, they say, We will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. And I think you can translate that very much to the world of work today. I really quite dislike the the capitalist way of the world that it's going right now. Everything is about perpetual growth and profit at all costs. I don't think that's what God intended. You know, we're bowing down almost to this idol of wealth and gold now at all costs. And what do we do in work when we have that challenge? That we're almost to bow down no matter what. Right back at the start, Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself. He set his standards right from the word go. And I just wonder whether we should take a lesson from this. Don't allow your your own quest a better standard of living 
to take priority over living a better standard. Yeah, let me say that again. Don't allow your quest for a better standard of living to take priority over living a better standard. So don't, because your boss asks you to do something that you know is wrong and you'll get rewarded for it, and you would actually quite like that reward, don't do it if it's wrong. Right? Don't bow down to that idol of gold just for your own benefit. Remember who's boss. Remember he calls you to holiness. Remember he calls you to worship him, to use things, and to love others. So just some final thoughts before we move into our time of communion. I said right at the start that, uh, um, you know, I would explain why we've done it in the order of rest, work, and play. I don't know if you've noticed in the order of, of creation. The first six days, it was God that did all the work, right? Man was created on the sixth day. And what was the next day after creation? Day of rest. The first thing that we were instructed to do was not work, it was to rest. We were called out of rest into work because God had done everything to begin with. God has done it all. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 1, he says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. There was nothing more to do. God has made it all. Right? We can't create anything more. We're constrained by that first law of thermodynamics that says energy can neither be created or destroyed. Right? We could use it. We can mess around with it. We can change it. But the creation is finished. We cannot make anything out of nothing. It's done. So on the physical realm of things, it was all completed. And then spiritually... Jesus on the cross said, it's finished. Nothing that we have to do. Work is not the important thing. The important thing is not because of what we do, but it's because of what God has done for us. The focus when we look at work is not about the work itself. It's about the fruit that we bear from that. Everything is God's anyway, right? We're only accountable to him at the end of the day. He's put us in temporary charge. All that you acquire over the years, when it comes time to meet your maker again, you'll take none of it with you. Doesn't count for anything at all. We're answerable only to him. So my question is, what fruit are you bearing? Because God calls us to build up treasures in heaven, not treasures on earth. Our work should be centered on bearing fruit for his kingdom. Not on bearing fruit for ourselves, not using things for our own purpose. Let's worship God. Let's put our focus on him. Let's use the things, the talents, the gifts, the creation he's given us. And let's love people. Amen.